just recently a woman was baptized into Christ there. It's wonderful to hear the good news of the additions in the Lord's church. Let's continue to be mindful of those and prayerful. And as already has been uh, prayed this morning, as all of us joined in that prayer, the many mission works that we're a part of continue. Let's all be laborers in prayer of those mission works. I have a really wonderful announcement to make to you. It shows such a good heart and humility. Brother Neil Clark came by this week, and as he has grown and says, as he has appreciated the church family here and the opportunity to to read the Bible every day as a church family, it's made him think about some times in his past where he questions whether or not he was faithful in his attendance as he should be. And he said he wants to make that right. And so when he stopped by the office, we prayed about that, and he asked if I would announce that to you. James 5.16 teaches us to confess our faults one to another and pray one for another. And so we are thankful to have the opportunity to fellowship with such a faithful man. And let's begin this service with praying on his behalf as he's asked us to do. And we've already prayed for his forgiveness of his sins the other day, but let's bow. Our most gracious God, we thank you so much for being merciful and gracious. Lord, we thank you for giving us the opportunity to grow and mature, and we thank you for giving us the opportunity to come back to you when we make mistakes and commit sin. And Lord, we are thankful for Brother Neil Clark. We're thankful for his heart. We're thankful for his love for you. We are thankful for his example. And Lord, we pray that we can be an encouragement and hold him up just as he has been an encouragement to us. Lord, we thank you for Stephan. We thank you for Jerry, for Michelle, uh, for the woman in... Perlington, for all the newborn babes in Christ, we thank you for them. And Lord, our prayer is that they'll grow and mature and that they will be faithful and that they will help others in their family and among their friends to learn of you also. We do pray for the good work at Greenback. And Lord, we pray your great success there. Lord, we pray that you be with us now as we open your word and as we study. Lord, we pray that you will be magnified and that we will leave wanting to serve you with greater ambition. And it's through your son's name that we offer this prayer and amen obedience the young soldier was placed on centurion duty he was at the main gate and he was new to this but he's given certain orders very clear not let any car pass through here that does not have the decal on the windshield well on his first morning on the job here turns in a long army car with a general in the back seat He stands in the middle of the lane and says, Halt! He says, You cannot pass through here. You do not have the sticker. The driver was a corporal. He heard General Wheeler say, Drive through. He stayed there again. He said, I repeat, you cannot pass through here. You do not have the sticker. General rolled his eyes and said again to his chauffeur, Drive on through. By this time, the young soldier had made his way to the back window, and he said, I've been given orders to shoot anyone who passes through, and General, I'm new at this. Am I supposed to shoot you or the driver? (laughs) Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody on this earth felt so compelled to obey? Wouldn't it be wonderful if every child in a home today said, I'm going to obey, period. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every school system was full of children that obeyed, period? Wouldn't it be wonderful if the roads were full of drivers that obeyed? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we lived in communities where every citizen obeyed, 
Can you imagine living in a society that has no crime, that has no rebellion? Can you imagine living in a place where everyone is to obey? You see, the Lord has designed the place for us to learn obedience is when we're young and in the home. Just as children are commanded to obey, we know that parents are commanded to teach children to obey. If you would turn back in your Bible to Jeremiah, the 35th chapter, I'd like for us to just review a story there quickly this morning as, as we begin. And, and as we begin this, I, I want you to think about this simple fact that obedience has never been easy. And so for us to look at our children and think, well, they ought to just obey. It ought to come that easy. It's not that easy. The truth is, it's not that easy for adults. I'm not putting any of us off the hook. I'm simply saying we all need to be reminded this morning of how difficult it is to say, I submit my life to authority. When we read here in Jeremiah, the 35th chapter, we read some of Jeremiah's interesting illustrations. Earlier in the book of Jeremiah, he had walked around with an ox's yoke around his neck just to show the fact that one day they were going to be yoked up with Babylonia. Another time, before Babylon was coming to take over, he went out and bought a farm just to prove that one day his descendants would return back to this land again. You remember the exile for 70 years? And he bought that farm as an illustration just to say, God told him to, you're going to return here one day. This illustration is real interesting. You see, when you begin reading in the first four or five verses, 35th chapter, you find out that there was a family of red Rechabs, Rechabites, and Rechab had sons, and he gave them orders. They were never to drink wine. They were never to buy land and build buildings and live in anything other than tents because they were just sojourners, their father told them. They were never to plant seeds and never to grow a vineyard. And so in order to make a sermon illustration... He calls this family into the temple and he provides bowls of wine and cups of wine. Notice as we read verse 5, he says, Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, Drink wine. But they said, We will drink no wine, for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, You shall drink no wine. Isn't that interesting? Now, how is that going to be a sermon illustration? How is it the simple fact that they are going to show that they will not do what Jeremiah is asking simply because their father had given them a command not to do that and, and they won't disobey their father? Here's how it comes, a sermon illustration. Look, if you will, in 13 and 14. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instruction to obey my word, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. Could your family be an example that God could use today? What if God sent a prophet to Middle Tennessee today and said, I'm going to show you what it is, Middle Tennessee, to obey because it seems that most people have forgotten how important obedience is. 
I'm going to call out your family and I'm going to give a command and, and you're not going to obey the command I give you because the prophet gives because after all, it's going to ask you to do something that you've already been commanded not to do. And can you imagine having enough conviction, enough strength that just on the spot, not even knowing that it's a setup for an illustration, that orders refuse? No, we don't do that. We've been commanded not to do that, and we obey those that have the authority over us. When we think about the things that the world would do, that we've been commanded not to, not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. Now, the world doesn't obey that. We can't expect them to. But does your family obey that? Does your family prove as an example? Or when we think about obeying those that have the rule over you, Hebrews 13 and 17, obeying the elders and others that have the authority over you, does your family obey that? We think about giving. We've just taken the Lord's Supper and then we've also had a collection. We think about giving on the first day of the week as we have been prospered. Is your family an example? We could go on and on with hundreds and hundreds of things. The point is this. If we, as a family, are not obedient, how can we ever expect our children to rise up and become something that we're not? Look back, if you will, to Genesis, the third chapter, as we just quickly, as we look at two stories here, it's some of the early stories of the Bible, just again to kind of paint the picture of how God helps us to see obedience isn't easy. We're, we're fooling ourselves if, if we think that this idea of, Lord, I, I want to obey you, and then it's something casual, it's something easy. It's never been easy. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, were told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. That's in the third chapter in verse 1 when the serpent asked her. That was her answer. But the serpent changed and by just adding one word in vo- verse 4. Look at Genesis 3 and 4. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that there was good, that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Notice what's happening here, and as we begin discussing this, we ought to go ahead and define the word obey. The word obey can never be properly understood until we understand it from two root meanings. The word means to hear and to listen, therefore it's implied that we would carry out what we hear. In other words, whatever we listen to and whatever we believe, that's going to naturally become our servant and we're going to become obedient to it. Romans, the sixth chapter, would teach that. And so here we have the story where Adam and Eve, they listened to God. And as long as they listened to God and believed God, they did not see the tree as something that was good. They did not see that it was pleasant. And they did not even have a desire for it until they started listening to Satan. And Satan changed. Just added one word. You'll not die. God said you would die. So therefore the tree didn't have appeal to them. But then when they started listening to Satan, oh, we're not going to die. Then the desire to disobey became very easy. 
because now they're listening to Satan. And Satan is the father of lies, John 8 and 44. And so he begins painting pictures for them saying, look at this food. Now, when we lay this in contrast to 1 John, the second chapter, it's interesting when we are to love God and love not the things of the world. And then he gives us three things that are the love of the world. And he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Notice on the screen how each of those three tie in exactly to how Satan worked on Eve. You see, the lust of the flesh, when he looked... He had her to look at that fruit, and now for the first time, apparently, she looked at it and thought, wow, that really is good for my appetite. I really would like to have that. Now, it was sin, but now she's listening to Satan. What would cause her to disobey? She's listening to Satan. And then the lust of the eyes. Look, this is pleasant. It's pleasant for the carnal nature. It wasn't pleasant for the spiritual. And then the pride of life. This is going to be pleasant and desirable because it's going to make us wise. It's going to add to us. In other words, the question wasn't, us eating this, will it glorify God? No, it's going to be a direct sin against God. But you see, what they were concerned about at this point, because now they are listening to Satan, they were willing to eat it, and therefore the desire was for their self. Let's look at a second story. Adam and Eve had at least two sons, Cain and Abel at the beginning. There were more later. But look in the fourth chapter. If you have your Bible open there, just glance down to the fourth chapter. And and notice when we look in the fourth chapter in verse 6. This is where Cain and Abel both brought their offering, but God rejected Abel's offering and would not accept it. He had disobeyed God. And notice how God deals with this in Genesis, the fourth chapter. We'll read verse 6, but I'd like for you to especially notice 7 and the end of 7. Genesis 4 and 6. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Now, let's pause there for just a moment. Isn't it interesting when Eve sinned and then took the fruit and gave it to Adam and he sinned, their countenance fell too and they went and hid in the garden. And it actually says, and I was afraid. First time we read about fear in the scriptures is when they decided to follow Satan. Now, Cain decides to do the offering uh, in a sinful way And the interesting thing is, now his countenance is not great. His countenance has fallen. Now notice what what God says to him as a result of this. He says in verse 7 to Cain, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. You see, God here is painting a picture of options. Look at this next slide as we think about this. He's given him a great option. He's saying, look, You've already disobeyed, but I want to show you, if you continue through this doorway here, sin is going to entrap you. It's a snare. It's at the door. You don't have to go that way. Cain, you can walk back from that, and I'll take you back again. If you do well, don't you know that I will bless you? It's interesting there also that he's tied in that sin desires you. There comes a time where we have to accept the fact that just as serious and as much as God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, He has a desire for us, Satan also has a desire for us. He wants us to walk through that doorway of sin. He wants us to disobey God and obey Him. Sin lies at the door. It entraps us. Now this is very important. What are we to do? 
he tells Cain in that last phrase about sin, he says, you should rule over it. That's huge. Cain, I want to tell you where you are. And I want to tell you how you're about to get deeper on that wrong path. I want to tell you about how you can come back and avoid that. But I also want to tell you this. You're responsible for you. Obedience. God wants it, but He never said, I'll live your life. I'll make you obey. Tonight, when we look back at some of the beginning of the church in Acts, as we think about our daily Bible reading that we're enjoying, and one of the things that we see early on in church history is that God still is allowing man to be responsible for themselves. We'll study tonight where Peter said, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. You see, when we talk about obedience, we're literally saying, I have to become responsible for me. When we're teaching our children to obey, we're literally teaching our children to take responsibility for their life and for their actions and to submit their self to God. With these things in mind, I invite you back to the text in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, notice that again. It's very simple as it reads. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. When he says, for children to obey, that's a simple command. It really is. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm simply saying it's a simple command. Children, obey. Well, who's the authority? Obey your parents. In the Lord, that's the ultimate authority. Again, tonight, we'll study the times, or look at a couple of the times, where they obeyed God rather than men. You see, the standard is always first to obey God. What a blessing whenever parents are Christians and they raise their children so that their children can obey the parent, and in so doing, they obey God also. But notice the standard there is, it is right. Our children do not obey us because we're awesome parents. Our children do not obey us because we're perfect. Our children obey us because they learn that to be right with God, they must practice obedience. You know, we have been talking quite a bit for the last few weeks, and especially the last year, about how we treat others in our relationships based on who our God is, not based upon who they are. And it's the same way for children. Children do not obey their parents because who their parents are. They obey their parents because who their God is. Now, we're talking about older children. We're talking about teenagers, ones that have learned to develop a loyalty to God. And therefore, they obey their parents because who their God is. As we think about this, I'd like for you to consider this, though. And I'll be honest with you. I never really, in, a very, in this direct of a way, thought about this before. Who's this command to? Well, first we obviously say this is a command to children. Children, obey your parents. Any of you that have young children, any of you that have young children, is this a command to you as parents? Or is it a command to your children? Or is it both? Let's ask it this way. Who teaches children to obey? You see, this first is a command to parents. 
parents learn that what God wants their children to become is obedient children to their parents. And so we, in their youth, in their infancy, and as their toddlers, we begin to teach them the importance of obedience. And then as they begin to develop and grow and nurture a faith, they then start to realize that this is a command for me. I'm supposed to obey my parents. But it's interesting when you think that really this starts out being a command to parents. Now, let's go ahead and also point out something that's just a little bit uncomfortable. Just like parents teach children to obey, parents also teach children to disobey. And so I have to be honest with myself as a parent and say, which one am I doing? You know, like that child that's throwing a fit in the toy aisle at Walmart and the kid's saying, I want a toy, I want a toy right now. And the mom or the father's already said, no. We're not buying a toy today. Now, stop whining. Now, if that child is going to obey, what should be the very next action? The whining ought to stop. But a lot of parents have taught their children that they can whine five or six times after they ask something and are told no. And some parents even reward it by getting so frustrated, they say, okay, go ahead, but you've just got to pick out a cheap toy today and only one. Well, now we have rewarded disobedience. And then someone says, I just can't get my child to obey. No. You have taught your child to disobey. When do you expect your child to obey? Those are the only times you've taught your child to obey. I want to encourage all parents here this morning... To set within your mind a dedication to God's plan that says, I will teach my child to obey, period. Not on the third time, not on the fifth time, not when I'm extremely mad. Have you noticed in poor parenting, that's when parents make their children obey is when they push the parent to the limit and then they make them obey out of anger. That's not good parenting either. You see, the challenge in all this really is revealed to us in the fourth verse as he speaks to fathers. Look at Ephesians 6 and 4 as he says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Now here's a key phrase. But bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Why is it important that we teach our children to obey? Because godly parents see that they have an agenda that has an end. Any of you that have children at home, can you and do you regularly see what you want your child to be by the time of 18? Now I realize children in their teenage years can rebel against what they're taught. And that's a whole different case study. But we're talking about the responsibility of the parent. As we see our child at two years old, we're not just handling the daily matters of a two-year-old. We're seeing this as it relates to, it is my responsibility to bring them up. In other words, what are they going to be by the time they reach? The time that they leave my care. The time that God expects them to be mature and responsible and spiritual. Well, a part of this bringing up is to have training and a part of it is also to have admonition. 
that would definitely involve also the correction. And then a part of all this is to do it in such a way to not provoke anger. I want to encourage you to think about some things that I'd suggest here. Uh, there's a leadership book <clears throat> that studies Jesus' style of leadership. And he uses acrostic for equip that I think is, is, is applicable in almost all relationships that where we carry a, a kind of responsibility for others in the way that we lead them. And I couldn't help but think of this as I thought about the way we as parents are to raise our children and not provoke them to anger. In other words, how can you punish a child and not provoke them to anger? How can you bring out the most and the best out of a child and not provoke them to anger? We could consider this, if the E stood for encouragement, we need to always be encouraging our child and they need to have a picture of what they are going to become. It's frustrating to not know why people are leading you in a certain area. If you have a job where all, or on a regular basis, you are asked to do something, but you do not know what the end looks like, you know that frustration. Think how frustrating it is for children when their parents just tell them, don't do something or do something, but the child has never shown what the end is going to look like. We need to constantly be holding up role models for our children. We need to be showing them uh, high school age and college age and young married couples and, and to be able to point and say, look, look what they've become. That's what my prayer is for you. I want you to be that kind of person. I want you to be a faithful Christian. I want you to date faithful Christians. I want you to have a Christian home. All of these things, they should be painted in their mind from the time that they are young. And then we encourage them by showing them clearly. The idea of qualify is that we do not ask more of them than what they're able to do. Do you remember 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter? It clearly, Paul talks about the time when he was a child. He said he spoke as a child, he understood as a child, he thought as a child. But then he says, when he became a man, he put away those childish things. We simply are asking too much of our children whenever we expect them to do mature things when it's a point in their time that they are not that mature. It is ridiculous to tell a five-year-old he needs to act like a little man. He's not a man. He needs to act like a five-year-old. It's ridiculous to tell a 12-year-old that she needs to act like a woman. And we have far too many 12-year-olds that think they're 19-year-old. And part of the reason could be because our society encourages that. And could it be because parents encourage that? We need to make sure that we help our children find where they are now and grow and mature and have them ready for the next step, not for 10 years later the very next day. Also, we think of understand. This is one that I think if we could talk with kids, this is the one that I hear them say over and over and over. My parents just don't understand me. The definition of obedience is to listen and do. We need to make sure as parents that we show our children the proper respect to listen to them. Listen to understand where they are. How can we properly lead this child to the place that they need to be in adulthood if we do not even understand what they're going through now? 
If we don't understand their struggles, their challenges, their fears, their disappointments, if we do not understand who they are, what are their strengths, what abilities has God given them, because it's our place to help them be what God wants them to be, not what we want them to be. And so understanding our child is so important. For what it's worth, I firmly believe that every child ought to have the opportunity to ask why after they obey. I never minded my children asking why after they obey. Turn off the TV, it's time to eat. But can I obey first? Then if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it but obedience always comes first. Once obedience happens, then as parents, we better be all ears. What is it about you that I need to understand at this point? What is it that you think that I need to know? Okay, I didn't realize that. I did not realize you've been waiting for six weeks for this one episode of Batman. All right. I tell you what, we can make an exception. We're going to eat in the living room tonight because this is a big night. Turn the television back on. You think then you have the respect of your children? But notice your child didn't disobey to get that. They obeyed and the parent understood. We can lead our children without provoking them if we equip them. Instruction is so important. Teaching all the time. Not waiting just for uh, creating teachable moments, but just living life with them, spending time with them, sharing in their life and allowing them to share in your life and constantly be talking about encouraging things that you see in their life and encouraging things that you believe that they will accomplish in their life. Let's make sure that the encouragement far exceeds the times of correction. And then finally pray. I think most of us as parents are well aware of the fact that we're in over our head. I don't think there's anybody that would be so arrogant here to say, man, I've got parenting figure out. It's nothing to it. We're talking about directing a soul, helping a soul find their place with God. We better be on our knees often, praying for ourselves, praying for our child, praying that God's will would be done. As we close, I'd like to read to you two passages out of Proverbs. And if you'd like to look there, Proverbs, the 29th chapter. We're going to skip a few slides here and go down to the ones on Proverbs. Notice Proverbs 29 and 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The idea of the rod there is corporal punishment. That, along with words of wisdom brings about a child that, as a rule of thumb, the mother is not going to say, I'm ashamed of that child. Instead, that should bring about a child that brings a lot of pleasure. Notice what it says in 17. Correct your son and he'll give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Where there is no revelation, in other words, where there's not new being taught, and the new would be God's will. What is it? We know our carnal nature, but what is God's will? Where God's will is not being taught, the people cast off restraint. Do what I want to do. 
I disobey. It doesn't matter to me. And the end of that is, but happy is he who keeps the law. But then notice Proverbs 17 and 6. Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children is their father. You see, in, when the relationship is healthy, when it's whole, we have children that look up and say, I respect my father. I don't want to bring shame to my mother. And we have parents, mothers and fathers that respect their children and say, I want to take the time to instruct you. I want to take the time to punish you. Even when the punishment brings about pain, Hebrews the 12th chapter, I'm doing it because of the fruit that it's going to produce in the end. God bless us all as we carefully look at the responsibility that God has given us all to raise children that obey. God bless our older children as they see the responsibility to obey. And as we extend this invitation, I remind you again of the words in Romans, the sixth chapter, to whoever we obey, we become a servant. If we obey Satan, that is disobey God, we become a servant or a slave of Satan. In Hebrews, the fifth chapter, I read this in verse 9 by way of invitation. He's talking about Jesus and says, having been perfected, he became the author and eternal salvation to all who obey him. This morning, have you obeyed God? It's not easy. It's pretty simple, but it's not easy. Have you obeyed God? That's saying, Lord, I give my will up for your will. Your will be done in my life. If you're a believer that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you're willing to repent of sins, confess before men, won't you be baptized this morning? That's what He commands. That's what we do to obey so that we can have a, a good conscience, an answer of a good conscience, 1 Peter 3 and 21. Maybe you've done that and somewhere along the way you have stopped obeying God or at least in some ways, in some areas. Won't you repent of that and come back to Him this morning? Let's make sure that we're obedient people. Raising the next generation to be obedient people because in that there's great joy. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.
We are so thankful this morning to have the opportunity to 